We could just sing, O God, each day direct our way, renew us by thy spirit until we stand at thy right hand through Jesus' saving merit. Part of that renewal comes now as we continue in the word of God. And uh, this afternoon we want to read and hear together uh, the Holy Scriptures as they speak to us from uh, the letter written to the church at Galatia long ago, but also then the letter written to the congregation gathered here this afternoon, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, where the word of God speaks thus, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only... A, a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that under the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before God 
confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scriptures has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Galatians chapter 3, we thank the Lord for his living word, that word that speaks to us life. We take as a summary of that same word, uh, Lord's Day 23. You've come to that point in your catechetical review, your catechetical study, uh, in terms of the summary of what it is that we are to believe at Lord's Day 23. Uh, with Lord's Day 22, you came to the conclusion of the study of the Apostles' Creed, and uh, at question 59, in reference to the, the Lord's Days that unfolded the Apostles' Creed, asks this pointed question. But what does it help you? What does it help you now that you believe all this, all that has come before in Lord's Day 23? And the answer, in Christ I am righteous before God and heir to life everlasting. And then this question, how are you righteous before God? Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, 
and am still inclined to all evil. Yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin. And as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me. If only I accept this gift with a believing heart. And then to this question, why do you say that you are righteous only by faith? We give this answer. Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith. For only, only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. I can receive this righteousness and make it my own by faith only. Lord's Day. 23, by God's mercies, we have forefathers who have considered deeply the way of salvation, and we may share the testimony of our forefathers as our own. Congregation loved by God. We have all experienced situations in our lives when we consider listening carefully to someone explain something that you quite didn't understand, and there comes a moment in that conversation where you wondered as to where that the conversation was was going to end up. And you go step by step by step. Now where is this heading? Perhaps it was someone explaining a particular medical procedure or diagnosis or, or listening to someone deciphering some technical information. And as you sp they speak, you may wonder, now, now what's, what's the conclusion? What's the final point? Or to take another example, you may be reading a novel and and sometimes you may be tempted to turn a few pages and skip to the end and say, oh, where is it going? This, oh, this is, oh, this is, oh, oh. Well, we all like to get to the point. We like to get to the aha moment. And in a certain sense, Lord's Day 23 brings us to the point, to the aha moment. For several months now, you as a congregation have been refreshing your hearts and minds considering the essentials of the Christian faith as outlined by the Apostles' Creed. 
and, and we need to be clear, each point along the way is, is crucial for the understanding of faith and faithfulness. But now, Lord's Day 23, as it were, gathers it all together. Lord's Day 23, we might say, in a certain respect, is, is the heart of the Heidelberg Catechism, bringing us to the point, bringing us to the aha and as you've been considering the faith delivered once for all, the most holy faith, we, you undoubtedly have reflected again on, on the necessity of faith with, with Lord's Day 7, question and answer 20. Without saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are eternally lost. And, and then we, we could hear again, I trust you did, uh, the essence of faith with question and answer 21. Uh, sure knowledge, firm confidence, true faith is knowing the scriptures are true in all its parts from beginning to end. And then the believer then, then saying that the promise of Scripture in Christ are true for me too. For me too. And then going further to confess what saving faith is all about as, as true faith is uh, unpacked in question and answers 22 through 58 as to the content, the content of faith by means of the Apostles' Creed. And as article after article was laid before us. And none of us here gathered this afternoon uh, may ever take for granted the necessity of faith, the essence of faith, and the content of faith. But this afternoon, the question of what, how, and why come before us. And these questions are all related to what faith in Christ ensures the assurance, the assurance, what Christ ensures, the assurance of the fruit of true faith. Piercing questions, when you think about it. When you just look at the questions by themselves, they're, they're very pointed. And... These piercing questions come with very penetrating answers. What good does it do you to believe all this? How are you, personally, you, right with God, the holy God, the creator of heaven and earth, the almighty, the one who is past finding out, the infinite one, the unchanging God, how are you right with God? And why do you say that by faith alone you are right with God? And on the basis of Christ's accomplishments, what is the result of true faith? Now, all of this, of course, presupposes that you do believe what the Lord in his word calls us to believe. And if you don't believe, you're being called to believe. We want to be able to answer the Apostles Paul's question when he asked the church of Galatia whether or not they received the Spirit by the hearing of faith. He asked the pointed question to the church. Did you indeed receive the Spirit by 
the hearing of faith. Uh, the preaching and teaching ministry of the church is not simply of a pastor uh, presenting some information. To be sure, there's, there's the informing that should lead to the transforming. But very directly, we are pointed to the fact that a living faith must mean something to you and to me. If it means nothing to us, it's, if it's just words as it were, then we don't really have it. If living faith from day to day in our personal lives, if, if that's not a priority, if confessing the faith given for us uh, to believe means little to you, then it's a pretty good sign that you do not have faith to begin with. God's gracious gift of faith in his person and work is meant to give us joy and peace. Faith in Christ must always be a motivating force that enables us to press on even in the darkest days of our life. In short, there are no benefits for what you do not have, but the believer, the one who trusts in the work of God through Christ Jesus our Lord, praise be to God, through the working of the Spirit, receives benefits that serve as a bedrock for life. Some of you, with respect to your employment, have been blessed with what is called in our society at large uh, with, a, with a benefit package. And these benefits are temporal means with respect to our earthly journey. There may be something that speaks to your dental needs or what some, what some call retirement benefits. But this afternoon as we're gathered together before the Lord, we, we come to a more crucial matter. The eternal benefits, the eternal benefits of those who live in true faith looking for, to Jesus for all that they need. Now, the young church at Galatia, they were on the way, but there were things that needed to be dealt with. For they had come to a position where they believed that salvation was a matter of Christ plus good works. And as we heard the Holy Spirit speak through the pen of the Apostle Paul, we heard the Apostle address the foolishness of such a belief. The church at Galatia must learn again, and we must always learn, that it is Jesus plus nothing that brings salvation. Jesus, faith in his finished work. So with question 59, we ask the so what question. What good does it do to believe what the Apostle Creed teaches? What's the end result, the, the consequence, the, the aftermath, the outcome? Indeed, a crucial and essential question requiring a, a crucial and essential answer. Uh, without this crucial and essential answer, we remain, as it were, in the dark. We remain lost. We, we lose sight of what we have been confessing in all the previous Lord's days. 
And then the Apostles' Creed would be a matter of blowing in the wind. And answers that blow in the wind are no answers. They simply fly away. As an aside, in society at large, many answers are, are offered to or proffered for, for the citizens of our land, but they are just answers blowing in the wind. What we have before us this afternoon is an all-or-nothing question. True believers have the all. Pretend believers have the nothing. And we might say, now we must show what our faith means to us. It does not stay with merely uh, uttering a few words. And the answer to the all or nothing question is this. In Christ I am right with God and heir to life everlasting. Those are precious words, deep words, important words, words which must, as it were, circulate in our heart from day to day. In Christ, I am right with God, to be right with God, the holy, holy, holy God. And to receive that promise of the inheritance of the life to come. And this is a... a answer that every true believer must possess and as a gospel minister it's my duty to ask you do you indeed in heart and soul possess this answer not only now as a congregation but you personally do you believe that you are righteous in Christ before God how can you make such a statement how does that come to be do you believe that you are an heir of eternal life you know, the world is filled with pretend believers. Now, we're not talking about struggles in the faith. We all have our struggles. I would say, dare say that there's not one here that doesn't have a, a question of faith as to the Lord's intentions and as to his purpose and as to his own being. And we face the taunts of those who, who mock our faith. Oh, you guys, how can you still believe that old stuff? You guys, you, this is just superstition. And to be true, we, we do wrestle with, to some degree with fighting against doubt. We need to know what it is to starve our doubts by the word of God. And every Christian knows that there is a fight against our own sinful flesh. And every Christian must, must deal with the fight against worldliness. That worldliness that so easily encroaches into our lives. Dealing with hard faith questions. Struggling with various issues in life is a lot different than being a pretend believer. We do not have a single promise that all, all will be sunshine. The contrary, the Lord promises hardship. But we are, we are being called once again to take stock of what we are to be at heart. Just as the Apostle Paul called the church at Galatia to hold to the heart of the matter. The issue of the heart is the heart of the issue.
The gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. That is what makes us sure, makes us rich. To know already that the people of the Lord, that I, who am I? That I, that you have been declared not guilty. Not guilty when we have been guilty of so much. Those who to hold to Islam believe every day they are weighed on a scale. How does that scale tip? Speaking to her local gas station attendant in Delaware, we had a long discussion about this. And uh, he, he explained this scale very well. He's hoping, he's hoping. He's not sure. He's hoping that on the last day, the scale of his good works will tip in his favor. He tells me, yeah, we, um, we're standing at the same point and we'll end at the same point. And I had to say to him, no, we may be standing here together at this moment together, but our paths are so much different. Every religion other than Christianity puts stock in what man might do. But the Bible teaches us that the scales tip in no one's favor by means of self-willed religion. Keeping the law as a means to achieve salvation as the church at Galatia attempted to do cannot tip the scales in our favor. In fact, we have to do what the Bible, believe what the Bible says. The law declares guilt. By nature, your, human, your nature, my nature, we are ripe for hell. By our sins, we have earned eternal death. Left to our own devices, we could expect nothing else. The wages of sin, what does the Bible say, boys and girls? The wages of sin are death. And in our old nature, what are we deserving? We deserve a place of outer darkness where the worm does not die. Nor is the fire quenched. Left to depend on our own virtues, we stand on death row with the execution date staring us in the face. Truth be told, your conscience accuses you. My conscience accuses me. There is that voice that whispers in our hearts, why you are a sinner. You belong in the pit. You have no rights with God. You are going nowhere but down, down, down. Hang your head in shame. You have transgressed all God's commandments. We're zero for ten. I've transgressed all of God's commandments. I'm zero for ten. And we must then know. What the answer is, not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul, not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole, not what I feel or do can give me peace with God, not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Even more than our consciences is the voice of God when he says, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of law 
to do them. But God's voice does not stop there, praise God. God's voice continues to speak. God's voice declares, I have loved the world so much, so much, that I have sent mine only begotten Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And God's voice declares, as we heard in Galatians 3, that Christ, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of law, having become a curse for us that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith Pentecostal power God has orchestrated designed and delivered a rescue plan your slate, my slate, can be cleared. And that cleansing comes through the shed blood, the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, you are going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper next Sunday. And I trust you do not do that as a matter of, of the calendar. But as you come here, as brothers and sisters, as the body of Christ, that you will be nourished and refreshed in the gospel message, in the mercies of God as you take to yourself the bread and the fruit of the vine. And remember, as Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. A cleansing, a cleansing in Christ received by means of true faith. Faith that is faithful to the truth of God's word. Faith, we understand, forsaking all, I trust him, is the instrument by which we receive Christ. While we ought to expect and do deserve the strongest of punishment, our defense counsel stands up on our behalf and declares, the Lord Jesus, I have borne all the punishment in the place of the accused. Standing before the judge, I have fulfilled perfect righteousness. I have perfectly obeyed all the commandments in the place of the accused. And I place my holiness over against the defendant's sin. And the prosecuting attorney no longer presses his case. We must always know what it is then to say, how amazing that the blessing of the Lord Jesus may be ours through believing faith. What amazing grace, what sweet sound that saves wretches like we are. Through Christ, let's just try to think about this now. Through Christ, we may be recognized and declared as righteous. The opposite, of course, is to be damned and to be judged. In Christ alone, we are made whole. Apart from Christ, we remain broken. Without faith in the finished work and person of Jesus Christ, hell smirks at us and says, I'll get you yet. 
And that is why the message of the scriptures presses upon us page after page. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Those who do not believe, those who do not trust Christ, as is the case with the majority of our fellow citizens in in the land, have no hope. For the believer, Christ is an endless hope. It's a hope that never dies. It's a hope that does not disappoint But for the unbeliever, life then becomes a hopeless end. You find that in society at large, there's a a growing denial of any afterlife. You'll find in in some of the obituaries, um, no visitation, no service, cremation. It's denial, a denial of the reality of the afterlife but we know different by grace and as we reflect in faith surely there's a sense of astonishment a deep wonder even now in our hearts uh, there should be a, a, a rumbling thought stirring in our souls what wonder to be called righteous before God how profound to be acquitted at the judgment, how significant it is to be, to, to set free even now, to be living in the joy of our salvation in grace alone, by Christ alone, through faith alone. We are no longer held captive. Brothers and sisters, say to yourself, preach to yourself often in the week at hand, Christ has set me free. From the consequences of my sins. God who sees us for who we are. We can't hide anything. Our sinful thoughts. Our sinful words. Our sinful actions. For the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ declares his people righteous. God knows us. He knows you and me inside out. God knows how far short we fall from the glory of God and yet, and yet we may receive by his word an open door to eternal fellowship through Jesus Christ. In theological language, some of the catechism students may have studied this for a few moments. We we, we call it imputation, imputation, the imputed righteousness of Christ. More simply spoken, we confess that God assigns, God credits to his people what Christ has done as if, oh, what beautiful words, as if we had done it ourselves. Just as if I had never sinned, declared righteous, justified, by faith. Now the church at Galatia, they had yet to understand this foundational principle. They kept hankering to the old ways. We're not immune from that temptation. And it is in our own nature to, to, to think that we can earn something that, uh, well, we've done this for the Lord, haven't we? And so Paul asks them a rhetorical question. That is to say, a question that is to have an obvious answer. And he asks, well, uh, did you receive the Spirit? Uh, Or 
how did you receive the Spirit? By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? It's an either-or question. You, you, you have to choose one of those positions. And the simple answer is this. The gospel, the gospel believed is the work of the Spirit by faith. That's why the Word of God is, is preached, and you and I, me as much as you, must pay close attention. Again, the society at large may think, now what are all these people doing here, and why are they listening to, to the preacher? Well, the Lord says, preacher, preach. And when the preacher preaches according to the word of God, close attention must be given that we might receive God's benefits in Christ by faith. The church at Galatia was struggling. They struggled so hard to, to understand, to accept that only Jesus Christ could set them free. They kept wavering. They they knew so much of what was expected of the old dispensation. In chapter 1, Paul had expressed his astonishment that the church had so quickly flip-flopped. He, he had this understanding, well, now they get it, but they didn't get it. And in the strongest terms, he admonishes, he reprimands, he rebukes them for, for turning to a different gospel, which in effect is no gospel at all. He tells them, even if an angel from heaven should preach a different gospel than that of the gospel of grace through faith in Christ, let him be eternally condemned. Those are strong words. Chapter 2 and verse 16, the apostle writes, We know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified. Three times in this verse Paul tells the church that no one is justified by observing the law and three times the word underscores the required calling of faith in Christ Jesus. The essence of the gospel message is justification by faith. And that's, as Luther said, the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. In chapter 3, it is as if Paul is, is pressing the, uh, the uh, pedal to the metal. After all the teaching of justification by faith alone is a matter of life and death. Paul is upset that, that someone has pulled the wool over the eyes of the church. No one is able to, to begin to complete the fullness of, of the call of God's law. Now we read the law in church, don't we? It reminds us of our sin. It drives us to the Savior. We perfectly completed the law. But let none of us assume here that when we read the law of God, we are declaring, now this is the way you may be saved. And what we need to, to see in the, in the congregation gathered here in Owen Sound, removed by some 2,000 years from the church in Galatia, is that the same teaching that the Apostle Paul was pressing upon 
the church there applies to us. Justification by faith alone is, is the heart of the matter. It brings us to the point of life. Christ, the second Adam, fulfills what the first Adam did not. Just as the first Adam dragged us down, so the second Adam lifts us up. Justification is God's free act of pardoning sinners like you and me and accepting them as righteous for Christ's sake. God's justifying decision is in effect the judgment of the last day regarding where we will spend eternity. It is the judgment day brought forward to the present and, and pronounced in the here and now. And to know that God will never, ever, ever go back on his word. If we truly stand in Christ by faith, we stand eternally secure. Well, perhaps, uh, boys and girls, are you still listening? All of this may be somewhat hard for you to understand. Well, maybe this little human example will help. Boys and girls, when you go to bed at night, do you ever worry that your mom or your dad will not be there the next morning? Do you ever worry that it will be night forever? I, I don't think you have those worries. It is the same when we trust in Jesus. When we say, I believe Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, then we may be absolutely sure that that love will always be there. Now I want to ask you something, boys and girls, a little bit of homework, also for the young people. Later today, when you are with your parents, maybe at the supper table, will you ask your mom or dad to speak in their own words about the love of the Lord Jesus? Spend a, a little time with them talking about the wonderful good news of being right with God. A little question I ask you. Can you promise me that you will? And I say this because we want to be a literate church. A church that knows and understands, confesses the truth and the implication of the truth. There are a lot of churches that have become illiterate. They began to focus on on other matters, and the gospel has fallen by the wayside. But you and I, we need to know what we believe. He who confesses me before man, as Jesus said, we need to know what we believe, why we believe, and it must be pressed deeply into our soul for what we are speaking and listening together uh, concerning uh, justification and concerning righteousness uh, this afternoon is the very heart of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Now in saying what we have said, what you have heard so far this afternoon, we must be very careful that we don't start thinking, this is another problem that can, can present itself, that we don't start thinking that it is our faith of itself that saves. We are not justified because of faith. 
but by faith. Do you hear the difference, brothers and sisters? Let me say it again. We are not justified because of our faith, but by faith. If we believe that because of faith, that would become another work, it would mean that my faith itself would be the source of my salvation. My faith would become some kind of saving work because I believe God will grant an exchange and acquittal and eternal life because of what I believe. Faith is not an achievement on our part. Faith does not bring us to the graduation exercise. Faith does not bring merit. Christ brings merit. If we have faith in our faith, then we are no longer looking to Christ, but rather looking to ourselves. Faith is always the instrument. Faith is that, that channel along which the gifts of God flow to us. It is the Lord that lifts our hands, opens our hearts, so that He will fill them with His treasures. Only God's electing grace opens our hands and hearts to receive what He gives. And in that same grace, we see apart from Christ, we are but empty-handed beggars. And when we understand that, then we understand the point. And we've come to the aha, the aha moment. It is spiritual pride to think that because of the worthiness of our own faith, we have something to offer to God. Indeed, he calls us to offer our hearts to him promptly and sincerely, but to do so knowing that he has given us a heart to do so. There are many fellow Canadians that do not have such a heart. They carry on as if the world means nothing to them, the afterworld. May the Lord so uphold us in the faith delivered once for all to enjoy that faith, to give God the praise for such faith. Our riches are so rich, so rich. Don't take them for granted. And may we, you and I, together with conviction, seek to hold very tightly Recognizing it's the Lord's holding care to the precious truths of the gospel. And again we say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen.